This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. We're back in Acts 15 at the end of that chapter and then going into the first 10 verses of chapter 16. Last week we saw that the gospel of salvation by grace alone was under threat and there was a meeting held in Jerusalem where it was unanimously affirmed that nothing needs to be added to the work of Jesus in order for anyone to be right with God. There's one gospel for both Jew and Gentile. Furthermore, we saw that that fragile fellowship between Jew and Gentile was also protected. Now, when we come to the end of that section, it says in verse 35 that Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch after they came with news from Jerusalem down to Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And just an aside there, that must have been a glorious church to be in, huh? You have Paul and Barnabas and many others also who could be preaching and teaching the Word of God. Then we come to verse 36 where we pick up today. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the Word of the Lord and see how they are. A noble, worthy idea. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. You remember, that's his cousin. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. That was his hometown. But Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was, spoken of, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, And so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. There's another one of those summary verses by by Luke. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision... Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. Pray he bless it to all your hearts and minds, those you hear and those you away. Have a seat. Let's look at this together. 
You know, throughout the book of Acts, if you've been with us in the study in the book of Acts, we've seen that there is both a human side and there's a divine side to the expansion of the early church, the spread of the gospel. On the human side, we've seen such things as planning and praying and preaching. On the divine side, we've seen such things as signs and wonders and divine intervention and divine guidance. And here's what I want you to remember, that the expansion of the gospel is both a human and a divine enterprise. The expansion of the gospel is both a human and a divine enterprise. And it's the, mo- and the most fundamental way that you can say that, that's true even now. It may not look exactly the same all the time, but that's always true. And so in our text today, what we see again is how the spirit of the risen and ascended Christ advanced the gospel, and he did this through his his uh, human instruments, and through new challenges. There'll be some more challenges here in those sections that I read. And all this on the way to Philippi of Macedonia. We didn't read that far, but that's where they arrived, which would be the very first time the gospel reached what we call today Europe. But before they arrived to Philippi in verse 12 in Macedonia, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the ascended Christ, advances the gospel through three separate challenges that I want to see with you this morning. The first challenge is that of what I'm calling internal separation, Paul and Barnabas divide. The second challenge is that of missional application, what to do with the fact that he's trying to reach the Jews and Timothy's an uncircumcised Jew. And the last challenge they must face is directional frustration. I think you understand what I mean by that. These are, these are all still, these are challenges and obstacles that we face with the gospel both corporately and individually, personally, in your hearts, in your lives, and your desires to minister the gospel to other people. And so what I pray that you will see, my desire is that you will see in each of these how the Holy Spirit advances the ministry of the gospel, how he uses, in the first case, flawed people. Secondly, how he grants wisdom and discernment in the mission and enables us to place the gospel first in our decisions. And lastly, with that last obstacle, I want you to see how the Holy Spirit graciously directs and redirects us to the place where he has always planned to use us all along. And why are these three things true? They're true because Jesus is still on his throne, and the Spirit of Christ is still leading and directing the mission of the church. So let's look at that very first obstacle, internal separation. And I'm talking here then about those last verses in chapter 15, 36 through 41. This first challenge was a, is, really is a very unexpected internal one, if you've been reading uh, through, through the book of Acts. I mean, here, is, here is Paul and Barnabas, right? The dynamic duo, <laughs> Paul and Barnabas. They stood together defending the gospel in Antioch. They stood together defending the gospel in Jerusalem. And here, they separate. They, they divide. And we're told sharply so. There was a sharp disagreement. And one went in one direction, and the other one went in the other direction. 
And what I want us to recover, and we need to be reminded of this repeatedly, is that God uses flawed people. The saying, the best of men are what? Men at best. Beloved, we need to see that. You and I need to be reminded of that. This is a, a healthy dose of biblical realism. Why does the church grow? Why does the gospel reach down through the ages to you and me here? It reaches us not apart from human instruments, because God uses us, but it reached us and has changed us not because of our genius, not because of our ingenuity, our creativity. It reaches us and has changed you if you're a Christian because the sovereign grace of God comes through the preaching of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit and transformed human beings. God uses flawed vessels, and there's times when we need to be reminded that even men like Paul and Barnabas were men at best, (laughs) and they themselves had their problems. And so God uses people like me and you, and that ought to encourage you this morning. Let it encourage you this morning, especially if what you tend to think about yourself mostly is that broken part of you. What did Paul say to the church at Corinth and who started to, you know, put one man on the pedestal, another man on the pedestal, right? I'm for Apollos and I'm for Paul. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants. That's it. Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Who's really in charge here? The Lord. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is what? Anything. (laughs) Paul says we are nothing if what you're going to do is put us on a pedestal, you see. You want to give praise and you want to boast. You want to think about who deserves the glory. It's God alone. He alone causes the growth. And Paul would get even more graphic about this. You know, here he talks about one being a water and the other being a, a planter. In 2 Corinthians, he says we're just... We're just jars of clay, jars that were used in that day to throw out human refuse from the house. (laughs) He says, we're just jars of clay. That's what we are. And the treasure that God has placed in us is the gospel. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show. Here's why. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Why does God use flawed people? To show that the surpassing power of bringing salvation and transformation in the lives of people belongs to Him. And you and I got to remember that. Remember that. Lest we keep people on a pedestal, lest we ourselves become discouraged. So what was the basis of their disagreement? Well, Paul had this great idea. Let's go back to the churches that we planted on that, on that first missionary trip. And, and, and uh, Barnabas says, great, great idea. Let's take... John Mark, and he says, no, time out, no. We're not taking John, uh, John Mark with us. Remember, that's, that was uh, Barnabas's cousin. And what was the reason he gave? He gave it there in verse 38. He says, he thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, that was in chapter 13, and had not gone with them to the work. In other words, he withdrew before they went on to plant these churches, which they're going back to visit and so forth. And so he said, I don't want to take them. Now, the, Listen, the word order, the word order in the Greek New Testament language is important. Things that are put in the front of a sentence is there for emphasis. 
And so at the front of this, end, of this sentence in the original text is the one who has withdrawn or the one who withdrew. That, that's up front for emphasis. And then the meaning uh, of that verb withdraw uh, means, it, well, it's used elsewhere for apostasy. It's translated fall away. Fall away from Christ. Fall away from the faith. It's translated that way in Luke 8.13 and, and in Hebrews 3.12 now. So wh- what am I saying here? I'm not saying I think that Paul thought he was a, uh, an apostate. What I'm, what I'm saying is this, is that Luke emphasizes Paul's strong negative reaction about taking John Mark, and he makes clear to us why. Not because he was... Uh, had fallen away from the faith because he saw him as derelict. He saw John Mark as a deserter from the high task of preaching the gospel that had been given to them, you see. He saw him as someone who was unfit for the mission. Now, you know, we wish we had more information here, right? I could only imagine Barnabas ever the encourager saying, true, ever so true, Paul, but come on, let's give the guy a second chance, you know? But they did not come to an agreement. The result was what? Verse 39, a sharp disagreement arose between them. Sharp disagreement, terms which in the New Testament refer to violent action or violent emotions. Now, I don't picture Paul and Barnabas going to it, right? I don't think we should. I I think the emphasis here is on what he talks about, violent emotion. In other words, I think we can imagine a whole bunch of very heated verbal exchanges between Paul and Barnabas over this issue of taking John Mark with them or not. Um, What should we make of this? What shall we make of this? Two great men have sharp, heated, emotional words, and the result is they separate. What do we make of it? Well, some try to pin the blame on one or the other, right? Some people work at saying who's right and who's wrong, and there's various reasons for that. Some think Paul was right because it only says that he was commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord and so forth. But we could go back and forth. Luke doesn't tell us why, because that's not his point. His point was not who was more right or who was more wrong or anything like that. Luke is trying to help us understand the nature of this disagreement in comparison to what these two men just stood for in, in, in uh, Jerusalem. In other words, this disagreement happened on the heels of a unified protection and defense of the gospel of grace. And here they come to disagree. And they disagree on something that's not central. They disagree sharply with each other, have heated words over something that was not the gospel, over something that's not core, over something that doesn't matter for eternity. What do they disagree on? They didn't even disagree on obedience to some moral command. What do they disagree on? They disagreed on methodology and who's fit to be on a team. Imagine that. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas disagree and separate on something like that. So I think, I think his point does not tell us who is right or wrong, but to show us here the, the, the degree to which these men are still men at best and how it's the Spirit who builds the church, how it's the Spirit who uses flawed people, how it is the Spirit who can bring good out of even situations like this, you see. That's, uh, that's Luke's emphasis here. You know, sometimes, sometimes disagreements 
over secondary matters, things like, you know, who's qualified to be on a mission team. Things like that are inevitable. And, there is, and, and, and there's plenty of things to disagree on in the, in the history of the church. That's, where all, that's why there's Baptists and Presbyterians, right? And other sorts of divisions in the church. That's why there's denominations. But the emphasis here, what I want you to see is Luke's emphasis here is on the nature of it as a very sharp, heated disagreement. What he's telling us is, look, this was not ideal for two, for two men who just stood in Jerusalem together. In other words, this is not presented as an ideal to us. This is not some model. Description is not prescription, right? This is not, he's not telling us, look at this, how great that was. No, 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 this is not a model for us. This is not ideal Unity is the goal in the body of Christ. Unity. And where there is disagreement, even on something like this, a secondary matter, graciousness and charity should be the norm. And I don't think that's what happened here. At least it doesn't appear as we read it. Paul himself would defend both of his principles. He would write to the church at Philippi, the church he was just about to arrive at, in the story here, he would write to the church at Philippi when he was in prison and says in chapter 127, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What is a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ, Paul? He says, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, you see. And then later he would say to two women in the church who apparently were struggling with that and maybe bringing disturbance to the church, I urge Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree. Agree in the Lord. We should not divide uh, when it comes over secondary matters. Nevertheless, sometimes what? Different paths are necessary. That's just the case. Sometimes different paths are necessary, but when they become necessary, graciousness of speech, love and compassion in our manner with each other, that should be the norm. That should mark us. Well, it's easy to get discouraged. You read about Paul and Barnabas. Is the mission over? <laughs> Did they kill it? <laughs> no, no. Because the mission of the gospel and the building of the church, the calling in of the elect, is both a divine as well as a human enterprise. It's the sovereign spirit of Christ who brings good out of this whole thing and continues to extend the preaching of the gospel. Pretty soon we hear, you know what we hear first of all? One team became two. That's pretty good, right? Whereas, one, whereas before you had one mission team, now you have two mission teams. One's headed by Barnabas and the other one headed by Paul. That's good. And then we read right away that the second team, Paul's team, uh, was added to. And so the Holy Spirit immediately begins to bring good out of this whole thing. Again, I emphasize, beloved, God uses flawed people. We are at the end of the day but jars of clay. We will all face moments of disagreement and sometimes contention. And it helps us to see that the best of men are men at best. And some of those who are our heroes will themselves um, falter at this point. It's amazing to watch the fact that there's some godly men in this, in, in this country who just stumble when it comes to working together with others over something that is so 
secondary. It breaks my heart at times. Breaks my heart to go boasting to people about the ministry of together for the gospel, only to find out that at certain points they're no longer together for the gospel and they won't even stand on each other's platform. And it's not because one is no longer preaching Christ, but in some cases because of secondary matters. But don't become disheartened. If I thought that was the end of the story, I would be. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. But it's the Spirit who is building His church. The Spirit knows our characters. And the Spirit knows how to use people, even those who are are broken, people who make mistakes like this. We're all going to encounter things like this in our lives. If you've been a Christian long enough, you've either been in one of these or you've seen it, right? And you've experienced it. I do want to say if you're the John Mark in this story, or at least that's how you you see yourself, right? It's like, you know, the Paul of your life considered you unworthy. I do want to say that the story doesn't end this way in the New Testament, right? You know the story? First of all, first of all, Paul speaks highly of Barnabas in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He associates him directly with his own apostleship. So this wasn't a, person, a permanent personal breach. And secondly, Paul speaks highly of John Mark. He refers to him in, in Philemon and Colossians. He refers to him in 2 Timothy. He says that he's helpful to me and so forth. And we know that he wrote the Gospel of Mark, as we understand. If that's you, if the Paul in your life somewhere in the past thought you, what, unworthy to be fit, to be part of this team, remember, that's not the last word. (laughs) It's not the last. Who gets the last word? The Lord. Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Nothing. He causes the growth as he wills according to his desire. So there's hope for some John Marks out there. I don't know if that, who that may be or you feel like that. There's hope for you, beloved. Um, let me just sit on this a little bit more. Let me just say that the relational challenges that we sometimes encounter in gospel ministry, which I have now, right? I'm uh, you know, pastoring now some 30 years. The, the, those things deeply hurt. And the enemy uses that to discourage individuals so perhaps they don't serve the Lord anymore. You know what I mean? If I'm going to feel this in the ministry, why am I in the ministry? You know, if we can't, if we can't put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, and, and, and patience and forgive one another, why are we asking people to do that? And, and it, it could easily undermine your, 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 your motivation for ministry. You know, the, the hurts we feel are in accordance to the, the, the depth of hurt, the degree of our hurts are in accordance to the basis of the unity which we were supposed to be living in together. And that's why a, a separation in the PTA doesn't hurt like separation of a marriage. Because what is the basis of the unity and the goal of the unity of marriage to portray the, the relationship between Christ and his church is what deeply hurts when marriages hurt or fail. And so that's why ministerial separation like this can be deeply, profoundly painful. Why? Because we are supposed to be together for the glory of Christ. 
They will know my, you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. So there's no doubt in my mind this was powerful. And some of the, some of the most painful breaches that I've experienced have been those closest. You know, just, it just happens, and it happens in ministry. Um, reminds me of the words of David and his own suffering. Early on in his, in, his, in his experience, David writes in Psalm 49, 41, excuse me, verse 9, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. That smarted. That hurts. That hurts profoundly. And there are times when those who hurt us most are those with whom we break bread around the Lord's table. So how does the church go on? The church goes on because Christ is the Lord and the Spirit dwells in people and the Spirit heals and the Spirit brings the gospel back to our conscience and and the, the Spirit restores people like John Mark and encourages them and said, don't re- forget what Paul said. <laughs> Listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> That's how the Lord keeps moving us forward. Um, I know it's hard to believe. But this is true. We know that God causes all things to work together to good, right? Remember that? For those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. Hard to believe at times. You say, Really? Yes, you see it right here. Two teams came out of one. And Europe was reached, you see. Yes, believe it, brother and sister. Last year we saw, last year and a half, we've seen a lot of disagreements. Some of them strong disagreements. We've had them. Some very sharp over the COVID and protocols and masks and no mask and inside, no, inside, outside, this side, that side. You know what? The fact that God still uses us does not in any way excuse one single sin we committed against our brother or sister last year. It does not excuse an ounce of slander or the imputation of false motives for people for the decisions they made. It does not excuse any of that the fact that God still uses you and me magnifies His grace. He uses flawed people. And so we're going to keep moving on. The church will grow. The church will continue. Now the second challenge is what I'm calling here a missional application. Um, And what we learn here is that the Spirit of Jesus enables us to, to, to place the gospel first in the mission. I'm I'm talking here about verses 1 through 5, chapter 16. A lot of things going on here. The first thing is the positive thing, right? That they add Timothy to the team. That's tremendous, right? Timothy, you know, becomes one of Paul's closest and dearest friends and ministry partners. Um, He calls Timothy uh, his true child in the faith. He says that several times. And he even says that Timothy is, he he lists Timothy as a co-author with him on several of his epistles, uh, one of my favorite, my favorite reference of Paul to Timothy comes in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. In verse 19, Paul says this about this young man, Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like 
him. He had Titus. He had Silas. He had Mark. He had Luke. But he says, I have no one quite like Timothy. What was it about him? He says, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You. He's concerned about you, the church. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Now that is quite a powerful statement, isn't it? And I think if we all admit it's pretty searching, it's searching to me. If you're honest, I think you'd say searching to you to reflect on this. In this last year and a half, some of the things you said, some of the decisions you made, was it that you were seeking Christ's interests first? Or your own, you say? Was it your own preferences you were concerned about? Or was it Christ and the, and the people of God, others? Oh, so glorious is Christ, right? Paul says that he humbled himself. He left heaven and humbled himself to death on a cross. He put our needs ahead of his own glory. But Paul says Timothy's like that. What, a, what an addition to his team, you know. Tremendous and and, uh, and that's glorious when you think about that. There's also, however, a subtle mention of another addition to the team. Look down at verse 10. Look down at verse 10 in chapter 16. It says there, when, when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought. It was we. Luke's writing this. He says, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us. He subtly inserts himself into the narrative. Basically, he's telling us, this is when I joined the team too. God called us to preach the gospel to them. So, what happened? The division seems terrible when you're reading the narrative, but the division had not led to a weakening of the mission. Out of one team came two, and out of the, in that second team, the Holy Spirit added these strategic relationships. The Holy Spirit put together what we may call the greatest missionary team of the church has ever seen, right? Paul and Timothy and, and Silas and Luke as they launched the second missionary t- uh, journey. And none of these strategic relationships is an accident. You believe that? <laughs> None of these strategic relationships are accidental. And this is so much like the character of God. He's in charge of the mission. He knows what the mission will require. He knows who he will, he will fit into it. When he called a Moses, he gave him a Joshua. When he called a Peter, he gave him a James and a John. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that Christ, when he finished his great atonement work for you and me, he was resurrected and he ascended and he gave to the church. He gave to the church gifted individuals so that we may build up each other in the body body of Christ. He knows what he's doing, right? He knows what he's doing. I've learned this by now. It hurts. We've lost a lot of good people this last year and a half, not the least who was Ben, who left some two weeks ago, but God knows what he's doing, and so we march on, confident of what? That he, he, he knows how he's going to add to our team and knows what he wants us to accomplish. You see. He also knows how he wants to stretch us. Yeah, don't lose heart, beloved. The Spirit is building the church. 
But there's another challenge that comes from adding Timothy to this strategic team. And what's that challenge? Timothy has a Jewish mother. And in the eyes of the Jewish people, that makes him Jewish. He's Jewish. (laughs) But his father was Greek and evidently didn't allow him to be circumcised. And Paul wants to reach these Jews with the gospel. He hasn't given up on them, right? His heart aches for them, he tells us in Romans. And he likes to go into synagogues when he comes into a new city. And he knows this, that Timothy, not being circumcised, is going to be constantly a problem. And he can't take him in, really, with him into these places if they find out about him that he's not circumcised. So, see, that's the missional context. That's the missional moment. And he's trying to apply the wisdom of the Scriptures and what he had just defended in Jerusalem and, and, and the Spirit guides him. What does he do? He has Timothy circumcised. And if you're only reading on the surface real fast and you read chapter 15 and you, and you read chapter 15 and there's Paul saying, no circumcision, and he goes to Jerusalem, he defends it, no circumcision is necessary, right? And then you go into chapter 16 as Paul had him circumcised. And a a sort of superficial reading of it, you'd say, this guy, he can't make up his mind. You know, what is this, some sort of compromise? No, not at all. It's not a compromise. Think through this with me, beloved. Think through this with me. First of all, for example, there was another helper, Titus. I already mentioned him. Titus was 100% Greek. In Galatians chapter 2, we're told that, that the Jewish uh, Christians there wanted to make a test case out of, out of Titus, right? Let's have him circumcised and keep the law of Moses so we can make him an example. And Paul adamantly said, no, no. Why do you say no? Well, because the gospel was at stake in that question, right? What was the question? Whether or not circumcision is necessary for a Gentile to be saved, you see. But this situation is different. This situation is different. Why? Because Timothy is a Jew, for one. And secondly, what was going on here was not a demand that that be done so that he would be considered saved. What was going on here was Paul's awareness, the wisdom given to him by the Holy Spirit, and the desire to keep the mission primary in his mind for the sake of the gospel. He asked Timothy to undergo this painful procedure now as as a young man for the sake of being able to reach the Jews with the gospel. Imagine if I was Timothy, I'd say, that's nice for you to say that, Paul, but, <laughs> you know. But what's that tell you? It tells you, <laughs> what's, it, what's it tell you? It tells you just why he said, what a man this brother was, right? His concerns were more for whose? Jesus Christ. Not his own. And so he undergoes this painful procedure. You know. So Paul... Paul, what drove him? What drove Paul? Advancing the gospel. That's it. This was not essential for salvation, but it was helpful for evangelization. That's how he saw it. And so he made the decision below. And and Paul would do the same thing himself. He would do it himself. You know, Paul knew he didn't need to keep carrying on Jewish practices. He didn't have to do that to please God, but he was willing to do that if that helped him talk to Jews. In Acts chapter 21, Paul comes, uh, comes back to Jerusalem, and James comes to see him again and says, look, man, news has spread here that you're even telling Jews they don't have to be Jewish. Not only are you not telling Gentiles they don't have to become Jewish, 
that you don't care and you don't want Jews to be Jewish. And Paul says, that's not true. He says, well, prove it. Well, I want you to take a Nazarite vow and do some Jewish stuff. And Paul says, sure, I'll do it. He was willing to do it. There's not a compromise here at all. What is Paul's approach? He spells it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. By God's grace, be it our life, too, what he says here. Simple, but searching. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. He didn't say anybody forced him. Notice that. I made myself. He's exercising his own conscience, his own liberty. I made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And then he gives examples. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. Acts 21. <laughs> sure, I'll take a Nazarite vow, whatever you want me to do if that gives me an audience. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, Talking about Gentiles, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. He's saying, I'm not talking about sinning. He's just saying, I didn't, I, 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 if I had to live like a Gentile short of sin, yeah, I would do it. You know, they're going to serve pork. I'm going to eat bark, you know. Why? That I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And here is his fundamental principle. Here it is. I do all for the sake of the gospel. And again, if your heart's tender to the word of God, that should search your own soul. It does mine. Do we do all for the sake of the gospel? What a statement, huh? I do all for the sake of the gospel. He concludes that I might share with them in its blessings. There's no greater blessing than seeing people come to faith and sharing in the glory of Christ illuminating their hearts. Huh? And if it costs you what? Setting aside your liberty for a little bit? So what? What, what? what are you gaining? The joy of sharing an eternal life reaching another human being and God using you in that instant. There's nothing greater than that. So like we said last week, I'll repeat it again. Let me say it again. Paul knew that Christ set him free from the law and from all that was required under, in, that, in that arrangement. And Paul would not allow anyone to put chains on him, but he would freely put the chains on himself, exercise his own liberty for the sake of taking the good news to someone else. That was the fundamental commitment he had in other words we might put it this way he made people and their salvation his priority that's it he made people and their salvation his priority not his liberty his priority john newton said this about paul very memorable john newton said paul was a reed a reed like a weed that blows right in the wind paul was a reed in non-essentials he was an iron pillar in the essentials. And again, it's searching to, to reflect on this last year and a half and ask yourself, 
Were you a reed in the non-essentials this last year in Indiana? Or were you a pillar on your preference? Secondary man. Paul had it straight. I'll bend on the things that are bendable because my concern primarily is not my liberty or my preferences or my opinions. My, my concern is what? The gospel. But when it comes to compromising the gospel, anything that will obscure it or inhibit it, I will defend it. I won't go on that road, you see. And so we reflect back in this last year and we reflect on that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He, his Spirit dwells with the church and His Spirit gives us wisdom, helps us know when it's time, helps us, grants us discernment because you and I are going to need a lot more of that in the years to come. You're going to need a lot more discernment, you see. As the culture moves more and more in the direction it's moving and the answer isn't going to be, you know, move to another state and live on top of a hill and just have your own Christian community. Where is the gospel in that? Right? They set their own interests above those of Christ, says Paul, but not Timothy. So you're going to get a neighbor who's going to move into your condo complex or in your neighborhood and and you're going to invite her, this LGBTQ woman, over for lunch. And then you're going to learn to say, but I'm not going to go to your wedding. And you're going to learn to thread that needle in a way that shows love that is genuine based on convictions that are real and a concern for that individual. That's threading a needle, man. Much easier to say, I'm moving. the desire to want to live in a Christian culture. I have news for you. When you go there, you take your worst enemy with you. Yourself. <laughs> You're not thoroughly sanctified yet, are you? <laughs> so you think through this, beloved. No comments here on, on anybody that did that for any other reason. There's a lot of reasons and improving your life and caring for your family. I'm not talking about all that. I'm just talking about the heart issue here of what? Gospel first and being discerning, seeking the Spirit's aid to make these decisions to apply the gospel in tough situations. So. I know we've talked with some of you over the years because you've, you've faced this on campus. You've faced this. The illustration I've used is like five, six, seven, eight, I don't know, ten times we've gone through this with people or, you know, you have a Roman Catholic uh, family member and you're invited to Mass, all these kind of things, right? If you're in the middle of one of these kind of decisions right now, don't try and make it alone. Just go ahead and call out, tell people, talk to your community group, talk to one of the pastors, say, I'm, I'm not sure how to thread the needle on this one. I'm afraid I'm either going to prick them or myself. We'd like to help you. Okay, so then the last challenge was this, this, uh, this thing about directional frustration. They go one way, no, this way, no, this way, finally. Um, and what I want you to see here is that the Spirit of Jesus directs his people, his servants, to where he plans to use them. He knows what he's doing. Uh, here is Paul. Here's Paul. He's clearly what? He's clearly called by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Correct? Is Paul committed to this? Yes. Does Paul have a good plan in mind? Yes. Does Paul have good motives? Absolutely. In other words, Paul has sacrificed, and here he is doing exactly 
what the Lord has called him to do. He has these strategic plans to fulfill his call. But here's the problem. Sometimes our plans aren't God's plans. And your heart may be as pure as it could be in your motivations, rich and desiring to serve the Lord. But sometimes your plans just simply aren't his plans. And, of course, he knew that all the time. What's he do? He, 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 for, he stalls Paul and redirects him. Stalls him and redirects him. And sometimes his dealings with Paul, you read this here, he was in one city, then the other city. It just seems perplexing, you know. It's like he must have felt like a pinball. Uh, you all remember what a pinball is? Nobody's laughing. So, I mean, you know, too, many, too many videos and not enough old-fashioned pinball games, right? You know, the paddles hit the ball, right? Okay. Or how about tennis ball? How that? Okay, back and forth. He must have felt like that. He goes, I'm, going, I'm serving the Lord. I'm going this way. Pam, no. I'm going this way. Pam, no. It's not, it could be perplexing when we, have, when we have good motives and we love the Lord and we're called to serve and we know that and we want to. But that's the way it looks down here. Right? On, on, on the earthly plane, no one has this, the sight of it. No one knows the plan God has in mind and wh- where this is all going. But I tell you this, it's, 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 it is purposeful. He knows what he's doing. I'm back to the fact that the sovereign spirit knows what he's doing both in your heart and your life and his plans. It's purposeful. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart when you feel like a pinball <laughs> and you're being bounced or, or a tennis ball, right? What, what did Paul have? Look at it this way. Paul had a narrow goal. It was a worthy goal. It was a good goal. We're going to go back and visit the churches we already planted. The spirit had a huge hole. You're reaching Europe. Well, you could have told me that earlier, Lord. <laughs> you know? But it's just the way it happened in his life, you know. What did the Spirit do to show him they were heading in the wrong direction? I don't know, but I want to show you, we shouldn't miss this, that the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, was working in unison in this great moment of bringing about the gospel's expansion. It says, verse 6, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Verse 7, it was the Spirit of Jesus, the Son, did not allow them. And then finally, after the vision, it says, we concluded that God, God the Father, has called us to preach the gospel to these, to these people. There's an absolute unity uh, in the work of the, of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, leading the mission of the church. And sometimes it takes us through redirection. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord what, directs or establishes his steps. Boy, and that's over and over and over. We felt that this last, this last year and a half, you know. Right, Chris? I mean, we made decisions like before we could post it online, and we had to change it. Why? Because things change. Pinball. Boing. <laughs> moving here, moving there. Whether the, it, was just, it was just crazy. It seemed like, where's the direction coming from? What are we doing here? And God may prevent you and me from doing certain ministries you have in your mind for the sake of the gospel. I don't mean necessarily professionally like a part of being a pastor, or, or, although it may be the case. I'm talking about even just loving your neighbors or, or, or in your school, the things you've had in mind. And then, and, and then he sends these roadblocks. And you think, why? It was a good motive. <laughs> it, it, he, you've, maybe some of you here today, you feel like you've been wandering since COVID. You feel like you've been wandering or you're rudderless and you're in a season, season of life. You feel like you're not accomplishing anything and yet you, you know you have a love for Christ and his gospel 
There may be nothing wrong for your desire, beloved, nothing wrong with your heart, nothing wrong with, with your prayers. But listen, even if you want to honor Christ with this, your plans may not be his plans. Don't panic. Wait on the Lord. Don't panic. Wait on the Lord. We saw Psalm 139 a few weeks back. right? He knows your name. He knows your days. He's written them in advance. And if you're wondering about your own motive, my motive is to glorify Christ. Do you think he has a different one? <laughs> no. <laughs> See, don't mix this up in your head. Praise God, he's given you a desire to live for him. He knows the best way for you to do that. He's the Lord of the church. And so he'll guide you, beloved, in his own way. Trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what? He will make straight your path. He will. It'll come in due time. Change. Remember when I went to seminary? I went to seminary in 1993. And the plan was, go to seminary and come back. You're going to come back and serve in this church. Great plan. And by December, you're not coming back to this church. <laughs> Funds fell out from the church, couldn't support me, coming back. Everything's changed. Where do we go? What do we do? Uh, God knew. I, I wouldn't have believed this. If somehow you flashed some photo of me standing in front of the church here, being where we're being here, I, I wouldn't have even pictured this in my mind. But you see, he's written those days for you and me before we even lived one of them, right? How does the Lord guide us today? He guides us not, not necessarily in these dramatic ways like this through a supernatural event, and sometimes not even so directly, you know, in other words, not, you know, marry this person, but not that person, or go to this school, but not that school, or, or you know, take this job, but not that job. It's, a, he does, it's not like that. It's a matter of wisdom, and he guides us through his word. His word is a, is, is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path, and his spirit working through circumstances. And even these men... Even these men in their decision did not only react to the vision, because that little verb there at the end said, concluding, concluding that the Father, God, had called us to preach the gospel to them. That, little, that word there, concluding, means to, uh, means to put together the pieces of a puzzle. Put together the pieces of the puzzle. You can imagine these guys, you know, Paul's the one who has the vision, not the rest of them, right? So they had to put it together. They're looking back on what happened the last few months. They're thinking, okay, that door got shut, this door got shut, and this happened, and then you get this vision. And so they put together the, this, all, this whole thing, and they conclude together, you see. Collectively, they concluded, God's taking us there to preach the gospel here. That's what he's doing. And that's what happened to me here. I'm asking you to pray this for this Friday and Saturday because your, uh, your elders are going to have our annual um, you know, day and a half long or so prayer and planning, reflection meeting. And we need to put together the pieces of a puzzle. Usually from year to year, someone takes one or two pieces out, right? But this year, it's like somebody threw the puzzle in the air. So there's a whole lot to think and pray about, and we need your prayers. We want to, quote, conclude. We want to conclude where the Lord's leading me. Are you concluding where the Lord's leading you?
Seek him out. Wait upon the Lord. Seek his word. Seek his wisdom. His spirit will guide you. Beloved, the Lord is building his church. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? It's not human ingenuity or genius that has done it, nor will it be in the future. The Lord is building his church. He's placed you in it where he's wanted you to be. Be encouraged because he uses flawed people. Be encouraged because when you find yourself in a tight spot, he gives you the capacity to place the gospel first. And be encouraged when you feel like a pinball. God's got the paddles, not the devil. And he's leading you to where he wants you to be. And he will do great things, I'm sure. Let's pray.